Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 392 of Linux in the Hampshire, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And tonight, you have tuned into our Short Topics episode, so we're glad you joined us for that. And before we get into looking at the news stories and the Linux information that you need to know for the, for the current period here in early February 2021, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. So here we all are, and uh, since Bill has been kind enough to do most of the work for this episode, <laughs> we'll uh, let him at least cover the first topic. Sure, why not? And this is uh, sort of a ham radio thing. This is a trailer for ham radio supernatural thriller called Dead Air. Uh, Joey Parr over at uh, Geek Tyrant shares with us a trailer in the new movie of this new movie or this new ham radio movie. You can tell I wrote that part. <laughs> I can't even say it right. Uh, and he says on the site, here's the trailer for the low budget supernatural psychological thriller titled dead air. The film centers around a man who starts playing around with his late father's ham radio. And this takes him on a strange journey. Dead air is a story of what happens to a man, William, who is suffering from the repressed memory of an old trauma when William discovers a ham radio and stumbles into contact with a woman with a dark secret of her own. The deceptively innocent relationship leads William to a horrible truth and changes him forever. Something desperate has stirred, attempting to reach William, to take a hold of him and pull him into the shadow world of memories best left forgotten. Uh, the two worlds collide, and William is rushed down a path that is paved with deceit, lies, and an awful truth. A truth that pulls him into a world of darkness from which he cannot escape. And that's kind of like the whole point of the film. The film was directed by Kevin Hicks, Paranormal Proof, uh, Behind the Door, and Doppel, other films I haven't heard of. And it stars <laughs> Kevin Hicks, Vicky Hicks, oh, high budget here, Chris Zaver, uh, Luca Ichovetti, and Madison and Mackenzie Sadzinski and Bruce Levitt. This is definitely a cheap looking film, but I do like the concept and who knows the story might actually be good. Dead air will be released direct to VOD on February 19th, 2021. And, uh, that came from uh, geek tyrant. And, uh, yeah, I did watch the trailer and it was, uh, mm, horrible. <laughs> uh, one of the comments on the uh on the article uh says uh, i've seen a uh, better production quality in porn <laughs> well that, that's so, not saying a whole lot yeah <laughs> so yeah this is a really low budget uh very uh inexpensive uh looking and uh yeah I, it still could be a good story who knows um but uh it's just interesting <laughs> 
It's a ham radio topic. There you go. You can have a laugh. The uh, link to it is in the show notes. Well, it's probably worth watching for at least five minutes, and then I guess you can figure out where you want to go from there. Yeah, I think the trailer will turn you off from watching the rest of it. You'll probably get <laughs> all the content you need from that. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, moving on, we have a story titled Houston, We Have a Problem. And I haven't pre-read this, so hopefully it's not too terribly awful terrible. Uh, but we are terrific, so keep that in mind. A press release from the Eris team highlights some recent developments on the status of the amateur radio setup on the International Space Station. Today was a tough one for Eris. Uh, let me explain. I'm going to explain in the words of someone else who's actually explaining. As you all know, an EVA, Spacewalk, was conducted yesterday. Do we all know that? I didn't know that. Well, I guess we all know it now. Was conducted yesterday to install cabling on the exterior of Columbus to support the commissioning of the Bartolomeo attached payload capability mounted on the Columbus module. On January 26, prior to the EVA, our Columbus Next Generation radio system was shut off and the ISS internal coaxial cable to the antenna was disconnected from the ARIS radio as a safety precaution for the EVA. During the EVA, our current external antenna coaxial cable, do they have to use all these words? Um, <laughs> it's a press release. Installed in 2009, was replaced with another one built by ESA Airbus with four RF connectors included as compared to the current two RF connections. This change was made to allow ESA to connect Eris and three additional customers to Bartolomeo as compared to Eris and one additional RF customer. As you might have seen yesterday, the EVA was conducted and our cable connection was swapped out. This morning, the crew restarted the radio system. Not hearing any voice repeater reports, we requested a switch to APRS packet. We still did not hear any downlink reports. At 1746 UTC, we had planned Eris school contact between our certified Telebridge station, ON4ISS, operated by Jan in Belgium and Mike Hopkins on ISS. No downlink signal was heard during the contact. The crew radioed down no joy on the contact about halfway through the contact, 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 and the Newcastle High School, Newcastle, Wyoming, Newcastle, 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 USA, contact, 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 attempted ended. <laughs> Clearly, there is an issue. More troubleshooting will be required. Required, required. And a link to that, of course, will be in the show notes. Wow. Words. Sorry, Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm, there were so many words in that. I don't even know what the story was about. No, I, I know what the story was about. <laughs> <laughs> basically they wanted they we had a story not too long ago about them bringing new equipment up um i know we i know we mentioned that in one of our short topic shows so like this is the 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 what occurred afterwards when they had all the new equipment to hook up i'm thinking they probably forgot to connect to coax somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah it definitely sounds like there's an open somewhere uh hopefully they get that worked out and they'll be able to resume radio operations from uh, up there in space uh in the meantime since this next story is about the bsa then i guess we'll uh let bill handle it <laughs> already already yeah this was sent to me uh from uh my uh my k2bsa call the other or, or yeah or conference call the other day and uh, this is a free article from the ADA, uh, qst uh, in the March 2021 uh, issue of QST, and it's how to create a Boy Scout troop of hams. Um, the article goes, uh, I'll give you the first few uh, few uh, paragraphs here. Being prepared is the goal of hams and Boy Scouts everywhere. However, sometimes you learn that you aren't as prepared for a particular situation as you thought. 
When Hurricane Harvey hit the Texas coast in 2017, the small community of Kingwood in the northeast Houston was uh, decimated. Large portions of the subdivision were underwater, but up to five feet of water for several days. Uh, Troop 839, one of the local Boy Scout troops, had a few ham radio operators who jumped into action to help the community. But the troop as a whole was unprepared due to being separated by water. After the storm passed, things got slowly, things slowly got back to normal. Uh, Assistant Scoutmaster Scott DeMassey, KC5 NKW, thought it might help the community to have a trained team of ham radio licensed scouts in place. With the help of his Assistant Scoutmaster David Goddell, Good Goddell, Goddell, I'll just say Goddell, uh, KG5 BLY. Good Goddell? A plan was made to increase the number of licensed hams in the troop. The troop has gone from four licensed radio operators to 37 adult and youth combined, forming the Troop 839 Radio Club, KW9 BSA. And the article goes on to describe how they actually, you know, made it all occur and stuff like that. And it's a, it's a free article and we got it linked here in the show notes if you don't subscribe to QST. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was an interesting feel good story. All right, very good. It's Boy Scouts, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I only got as far as Cub Scouts. Never never Boy Scouts. I and I threw this last one in really ad hoc because I forgot we were supposed to mention this. Oh, well, go ahead and mention it then. Yes, I will. So this came over from a press release from uh, Youth on the Air and uh our good friend uh uh Neil Rapp who is not listening to us cuz he's you know, doing his podcast right now. <laughs> he's probably in the middle of an advertisement. So maybe he's listening to us. Uh, anyway, uh, he says, uh, youth, Yoda month, a success in the Americas. Youth operated amateur radio stations in the Western hemisphere contribute 14,000 QSOs to the worldwide special event celebrating youth and America or youth and amateur radio during the month of December. December Yoda month 2020 was a great success in the Americas. 24 operate operators under the age of 25 utilized special event call signs to promote youth and amateur radio here in the Americas. Globally, over 137,000 contacts were logged using 46 call signs, all operated by hams under the age of 26. The total surpassed last year's record number of 129,029. The USA placed second behind Croatia in the total number of contacts made during the event. Over 2,100 operators, both youth and adults, requested and received award based on the number of Yoda contacts made as of January 19th. And you can find out more information about this over on the Yoda, Yoda something, Yoda, Yoda on the youth on the air.org. So go check that out. All right. Very good. And the link to youth on the air.org will, of course, be in the show notes. Baby Yoda. <laughs> Oh, so, so Yota, Yota, Yota. All right. So, in case anyone missed it, those were all amateur radio-related topics, and now we're going to move on to some open source. And the first one we have here tonight is Microsoft Repo installed on all Raspberry Pis. Uh, the story is still flushing itself out, so you have, so you know, this came from Reddit, which means Bill was Reddit dumpster diving or something. <laughs> it's it's still this is a very current story. Okay, very current. Uh, over on r slash Linux, a post from u slash 46 underscore n underscore 2 stated in a recent update, the Raspberry Pi Foundation installed a Microsoft app repository on all machines running Raspberry Pi OS, previously known as Raspbian, without the administrator's knowledge. <gasps> Officially, it's because they endorse Microsoft's IDE, exclamation point. But you'll get it even if you install the light image and use your Pi headless without a GUI. This means that every time you do apt update on your Pi, 
you are pinging a Microsoft server. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. They also install Microsoft's GPG key used to sign packages from the repo. This can potentially lead to a scenario where an update pulls a dependency from Microsoft's repo and the package would be automatically trusted by the system. Dun, dun, dun. I switched all my pies to vanilla Debian, but there are other alternatives too. Check the Etsy apt sources.list.d and Etsy apt slash trusted.gpg.d folders of your pies and decide for yourself. There has been follow-up comments, which may be of interest to the story and appears to be a forum post on the Raspberry Pi forums that has been locked due to Microsoft bashing. Why would anyone do that? I, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, links to the forum post and the Reddit post will be in the show notes. So, you know, dun-dun-dun. Uh, yeah, such I'm just going to run Ubuntu. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that that wouldn't have it for <laughs> pretty soon. I'm sure it probably will. All right. So Cheryl, yeah, considering the relationship that Canonical has with uh, Microsoft, you know, on the WSL, I, I would want Cheryl to read one of these stories. But since Bill can't self-edit, I don't know yeah, if we want to subject don't. her to any of this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill, you're up. This this next one, you could probably. Well, read she, I'm sure one, she could read it, it, but I mean, she's so, going to be winded by the end, so. <laughs> Yeah, these are long ones. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, give students hashtag user freedom. From a blog post on the Free Software Foundation's webpage, as countries around the world are beginning their long and slow recovery from the coronavirus, schools and universities may have to continue their struggle to give their students a quality education while using remote communication services until the end of the year. With the need uh, to continue classes and exams, school administrators have ended ended up relying on proprietary conference tools like Zoom to stay connected and are unfortunately turning to contracting contracting proctoring businesses with names like ProctorU, Proctorio, and Examity to monitor testing and exams. The increased use of proprietary test administering software is dangerous is a dangerous development, both because of the software's proprietary nature and because of the its inherent purpose of exposing a student's, or in some cases, a family's data to the proctor. In schemes like this, these, the user ends up sacrificing both personal information and biometric data. Because the software is proprietary, there's no possibility of understanding how it works besides leaking personal data. It could also create security concerns or deliver bad quality tests and results. Uh, requiring students to cede control of their entire computer to a test proctoring company is fundamental, fundamentally unjust. <clears throat> Worse, we cannot be sure that any of these non-free software dependencies and their accompanying surveillance techniques will be rolled back after the social distancing guidelines are no longer enforced. So in response to this, a petition has been created uh, stating that we call on school administrators at all levels to drop requirements for students to use proprietary software to participate in a course and to adopt free software replacement for every non-free program being used. As students, teachers, and parents, and concerned citizens, we stand together for the following principles. It is an injustice to require students to sacrifice their freedom to proprietary software in pursuit of an education. Using free software in the classroom communicates the importance of values key to a free society, sharing, social responsibility, and independence. With its focus on study and collaboration, free software is far more suited to the spirit of pedagogy than the dependence and abuse caused by proprietary software. And, of course, the source and petition are over on the Free Software Foundation's webpage. Yeah, FSF. <laughs> okay, very good. 
Oh, man. So I'm going to have to dive into this next one. And it's about a topic that is kind of interesting to me because uh, so far as I've been able to discern, I've never had an installation in Wayland that worked. So <laughs> you're in the wrong camp, buddy. <laughs> well, the problem is it's not supported by barrier. And that makes it a non-starter for me. So let's go ahead and get into it. It's Wayland Loves Me, not... A rant has appeared once again on the intertubes about a Wayland versus Xorg, about Wayland versus Xorg, and has gone slightly viral. Slightly viral. Not like the coronavirus, just slightly viral. Like any good Vi versus Emacs or Tabs versus Spaces discussion. What's Spaces? Never heard. Never mind. This time over, <laughs> this time over on GitHub. GitHub. I should have known. A gist has a, a, a gist? Yeah, gist, yeah. What's a gist? Apparently, I don't do. It's kind of like it's not not a repo. It's uh, basically a comment, like an RFC almost. <laughs> it's where okay. you just leave comments instead of uh, actually repos. Yeah. Yeah. Guess who doesn't do Reddit? Has appeared from user Pro Bono PD, where he begins think twice before abandoning Xorg. Well, I've already done that. I am not abandoning Xorg. Wayland breaks everything. Yes, it sure does. Uh, too long didn't read. Wayland is not ready as a one-to-one compatible Xorg replacement just yet. Duh. And maybe never will be. Hence, if you are interested in existing applications to just work without the need for adjustments, then you may be better off not using Wayland at this point. Wayland solves no issues I have, but breaks almost everything I need. Wow, he's having the same experience with Wayland I am. And usually it stays broken because the Wayland folks only seem to care about GNOME and alienating everyone else in the process. Do not install Wayland. Let Wayland not destroy everything, and then have other people fix the damage it caused, or force more Red Hat GNOME components, glib portals, pipewire, on everyone. He continues to bullet point everything that breaks. And here we go. It breaks screen recording applications, screen sharing applications, automation software, GNOME global app menu, Global menus with KDE platform plugin, global menus with non-KDE Qt platform plugins, app images that don't ship a special Wayland Qt plugin, Redshift, global hotkeys, XFCE, and NVIDIA. So there you go. Everybody switch to Wayland <laughs> right now. Do it. Do it. <laughs> now, I mean, I mean, to be honest, like the screen recording and sharing, there are ways around that. Yeah, but who uh, wants to XTG do work plugins for all that stuff? Well, no, the thing is, is that it's not that Wayland breaks the things is that people are not participating in these, these repositories and programs and applications and making the updates needed for them to actually work properly in Wayland. I mean, Wayland is going to happen whether people want it or not. And I mean, we've already decided, I mean, years ago that Xorg was dead on the vine. It's it's literally not the right solution for the job. I mean, this, but this is, why is the same thing a lot that happened. Gaming with... early on went went to frame buffering and stuff like that because you can't actually stream it properly. This is the same thing that happened so with a... Alsa and Pulse Audio, and you know, yeah, yes, yes, it's coming. I get it, but um, I'm going to wait till it's not broken first. <laughs> well, the key is is to get these applications that are breaking to not break inside of Wayland. There's there's no reason why they should be breaking. Um, and it, it doesn't take much effort, obviously, because <laughs> there's plugins for a lot of that stuff already that kind of skirt around some of the issues that people are experiencing. But like the Wayland people are not responsible for making the applications work. Just like the XORG people are not responsible for making the applications work. 
the applications are responsible for the applications working wherever they're destined to be ran on. I suppose. So, well, like until- the blame needs to, the blame needs to kind of be moved away from specifically Wayland, at least in my opinion, and obviously a lot of other people's opinion. If you go to the gist, you can see all the comments on it. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I'll, I'll admit that I am running XORG. <laughs> On both of mine <laughs> right now. Uh, and it did come with Wayland to start with only because I'm lazy and I didn't want to install uh, the plugins for OBS. Um, so that's, that's just purely my decision. Um, I don't use barrier on here and I didn't know barrier doesn't work either. And that's kind of peculiar because it shouldn't matter. Oh, it very much matters. Barrier just does not work. And they say in all the forums, it does not work. It does not and it will not. So I'm using XORG. Well, yeah. Buyer beware. But uh, I would say it's not uh, it's not uh, a non-starter. Uh, you know, maybe if you have barrier in your thing. But like somebody should commit back to barrier and fix it. It's not like it can't be fixed. Obviously, uh, the mouse knows where it's being drawn on the screen inside of uh, Wayland. Otherwise, I mean, we wouldn't be using it at all. That's probably true. But until they fix it, because I'm sure enough not going to try and decode and make barrier work on Wayland. But when that happens, then maybe I'll switch. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because there are definitely performance improvements with Wayland, <laughs> severe import performance improvements. So uh, there's definitely advantage to using it. And of course, uh, some of the other things I mentioned, PipeWire. Come on, my next version of Fedora is going to have PipeWire in by default. I can't wait for it. <laughs> All right, we're going to let you move on to our Linux in the Hamshack topic because you are clearly starting to lag a bit. So we'll let you handle this one, and then we'll get Sherilyn to do the social media roundup. Alrighty. So this is a, we, this is a WSJTX special and, uh, we have, uh, two releases that kind of came out back to back. We have the 2.3.0 has went to uh, general release or general availability, availability. And, uh, we also have 2.4.0 RC1, uh, which is also just released. So we'll just, uh, we'll cover both of these real quick. Uh, 2.3.0, uh, the WSJTX 2.3.0 introduces FST4 and FST4W, new digital protocols designed particularly for the LF and MF bands, so low frequency and medium frequency bands. Decoders for these modes can take advantage of the very small Doppler spreads present at these frequencies, even over intercontinental distances. As a consequence, fundamental sensitivities of FST4 and FST4W are better than other WSJTX modes with the same sequence lengths, approaching theoretical limits for their rates of information throughput. The FST4 protocol is optimized for two-way QSOs, while FST4W is for quasi-beacon transmissions of the whisper-style messages. FST4 and FST4W do not require the strict independent phase locking and time synchronization of modes like eb not. I've never heard of that one. Uh, the new modes use four GFSK modulation and share common software for encoding and decoding messages. FST4 offers transmit receive sequence lengths of 15, 30, 60, 120, 300, 900, and 1800 seconds. While FST4W omits the lengths for shorter than 120 seconds, uh, submodes are given names like FST460, FST4W-300, etc. The appended numbers uh, indicating sequence length in seconds. Message payloads contain either 77 bits as the FT4, FT8, and MSK144, or 50 bits for the whisper-like messages of the FST4W. Message formats displayed to the user are like those in other 77-bit and 50-bit modes in WSJTX. 
Forward error correction uses a low-density particle check, LDPC, code with uh, 240 information and parity bits. Transmissions consist of 160 symbols, 120 information-carrying symbols of two bits each. Who cares? (laughs) It works. And uh, they also started building for Fedora 33, which is good for me. So I can install the RPMs once again. And uh, that came from the mailing list. And we'll just quickly go over 2.4.0 RC4. Uh, which I have not installed yet, so I can't give you any information on that. I don't know if I'd need this, but uh, we are pleased to announce the availability of the release candidate for WSJTX 2.4.0, introducing a new digital mode called Q65. Timing of this release is unusual as it follows so closely with the general availability release of the WSJTX. This timing anomaly occurs because development of the new modes FST4 and FST4W and Q65 took place in parallel. Q65 is designed for making two-way QSOs over especially difficult propagation paths, such as troposcatter, ionospheric scatter, rain scatter, EME, and other types fast-fading signals. Full details about Q65 submodes and their capabilities are provided in the Quick Start Guide to Q65, which you can find available on the WSJTX announcement page and webpage. And there you go. So lots of WSJTX goodness in this, uh, uh, this fortnight. Very good. And, uh, I, I updated to RC4 and once again, it didn't really look very much different to me, but it still works. And I consider that excellent for release candidate software. So that actually brings us down to the end of our topics for tonight. We've covered some amateur radio. We've covered, covered some open source and we've covered WSJTX, which covers both of those. So. We've, we've fulfilled our promise as Linux in the ham shack. But before we get out of here, we can't leave without bringing Cheryl in, and we have not subjected her to any of these long-ass rambling stories, but we will make her read long lists of supporters. So we'll let you go ahead and do that before we get on out of here. All righty then. Well, our list tonight starts with our Patreons. It's Brandon Rosick, John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Pitts, Doug Rudder, David Jakeway, Darren King, Cubicle Nate, Erna Castales, Samuel Vimes, Peter Caffrey, Richard Gordon, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Donald Gover, Herb Garcia, Steve Sainer, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, and Andy Webster. For our subscriptions, we have Isaac Geer-Geyer, not exactly sure how they pronounce it, Thomas Foy, Michael Burdak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coberly, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Peter Spots, Fred Cole, Bill Piotr, Jeffrey Boris, Robert Halliday, Wayne Hale, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Roger Pereira, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Engel, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, Jeff Zimmerman. Ooh, wow, that's a long list. For Facebook, we have James Denebeck on Twitter. We had at in Hyen, at Bryson Pete, at Timbury, at am underscore Farmo, and at Big Ledge. On YouTube, we had Andy Jenner, David Folks, and Michael Swanson. There had no one joined the mailing list, and there were no merchandise sales. All right. That brings us down to the end of the show. So thank you, everybody. We actually started on time, so it feels like really early right now. I don't know how we're going to deal with that going forward. Maybe we need to drink some more. Anyway, uh, don't chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) 
before we get on out of here, let's go ahead and mention the folks who are with us tonight for the live recording. We had Tony K4XSS. We had Ted WA0EIR. We had Steve K7HVT. We had Tom and for hi. And we had Don KC9ZMY. Uh, you know, if you had better call signs, I could probably do something for you, but <laughs> only, only Tom has something that speaks to me. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening to us live and thanks for supporting the show. We hope you join us again on our next episode for a deep dive where we will be having an interview with the author of Dude Star, which would be really cool. And uh, we'll be talking about that soon. So join us in a week. And until then, we will wish you a good seven days. This has been episode number 392 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill, any 4 rd 73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info-lhslive. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com-lhspodcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter, and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash NHS podcast on the Freenode network, and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke Discord. You can also drop us an email info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.
Linux in the Hamshack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.